Vaxi's Musical Podcast. In the early to mid-1980s, there was this enormous pile of music that was being released and played on campus radio stations around the country, including the campus radio station where I spent a great deal of my time in an effort to avoid things like classes, studying, and learning shit. In fact, I was the program director of my college radio station for a while, meaning that part of my job was to figure out what songs we were going to play and when, which I found intensely more interesting than European literature or anything that would involve math. Many of these bands being played on college radio stations at the time would become incredibly influential for the next 30 plus years. This included bands like Sonic Youth, Husker Du, The Replacements, The Minutemen, and a band from my home state of Massachusetts, Dinosaur Jr. Oddly enough, when I bought their first album, Living All Over Me, in 1987, I had no idea where they were from. I just assumed they were from Minnesota like most of the other bands we were playing back then. But Dinosaur Jr. was a band that was pretty unique, something ahead of their time, even amongst all those other bands who were also ahead of their time. Dinosaur Jr. was maybe just a little bit more so. They were simple and sophisticated and freaking loud. At least that's the way it was being played in 1987. Over the years, Dinosaur Jr. would rarely disappoint. In fact, their catalog of music is one of the more consistently awesome and celebrated bodies of work to emerge from the days of college radio. Much of it tends to center around the legacy built by the band's guitar player and primary songwriter, Jay Maskus. But longtime fans will understand that much of the band's greatness centered around the rhythm section of Murph on drums and my guest today, bass player Lou Barlow. Whether you're listening to their early stuff like You're Living All Over Me or their follow-up album Bug or his work with the band Sebado or with the folk explosion whose song Natural One would become a top 40 hit or even the stuff he's recorded since rejoining Dinosaur Jr. in 2005, Lou Barlow's career has had a profound effect and influence on music for the last 37 years. And even though he only lives 14 and a half miles from my house, this is the first time that I've had a chance to speak with the legendary Lou Barlow from Dinosaur Jr. on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, Lou, how are you? I'm all right. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm so glad to be finally talking to you. I've tried, uh, I think I've tried every route to get either you or Jay or Murph into uh, one of these interviews, and I'm so glad you finally. Uh, that oh, cool. I finally got you because um, I got to show you something. This in, in 1987, I was in college and I had a a, yeah. a, a friend of mine working at a, at a great independent record store in Milwaukee, and uh, nice. he, he comes uh, to the house one day and he says, "You got to listen to this. You just got to see this. I got you a copy, and it's 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 a it's a pre hey. <laughs> pre lawsuit pre junior copy of Living nice. All Over Me and. This is this is like one of those albums that that has like always been 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 with me, and I just found out that if I had a, a near mint version of this, that's a two hundred dollar record, which I had no oh. idea. Yeah, so oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, so I I may actually get uh, I may actually get something out of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I what I didn't realize is because there's nothing on the album that, that indicates that you guys are from Massachusetts, you know, where I grew up and, and, and everything. And, you know, yeah. I didn't learn up until about a decade later that you guys 
were from Western Massachusetts and that you were from, oh, yeah. from Westfield. We just assumed that you were from Minneapolis like everybody else we were playing at the time. So yeah. So oh, I never thought of that. I never thought that it was that mysterious, but I guess so. Well, for 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 a kid who was suddenly in in Wisconsin and who grew up in Massachusetts to fun, finally d- discover when I moved yeah. back in '95 and moved to Westfield that holy wow. shit, these guys are are, are from the backyard. Wow. So yeah, very very cool. And it's kind of hard to imagine that it's taken nearly 28 years. I've never run into you. I've never seen you. You know, buying power yeah. tools at Rockies. I've we've never had a chance to 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 meet. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a pleasure to finally get a chance oh, to talk cool. to you. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So so just out of out of curiosity. So you 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 live in Westfield as a kid. You were living in Westfield. You originally from I think it was Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, I moved. I moved from Michigan to uh, Westfield when I was twelve. So what what brought you out here? Well, my dad was the company that he worked for. Uh, dissolved in jackson and like this whole group of families all moved to westfield at the same time it was he would work for this place called bendix that actually still had a uh, a plant here in westfield and then he started working out near chester and then then he ended up in westboro for another company anyway it doesn't but anyway there was a little parcel of families from jackson michigan that moved to move to uh westfield in approximately like 78 like late 78 and you're still there I lived in LA for 17 years. I lived in Boston for 10 years and I lived in LA for 17 years. I came back here kind of recently for family reasons. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like you were just, you're living in Los Angeles and say what I wouldn't give to live, you know, so close to route 20 again. (laughs) (laughs) How I wish I could be next to a pike exit. They changed all the exit numbers now too. I know. And it's, it, it messes everybody (laughs) up. Doesn't it? (laughs) I was just watching the, the documentary that was put out a couple of you know, a while back, Freak Scene, the Dinosaur Junior uh, story. Yeah, you know, there there were just so many things I didn't realize uh, uh, about the band. And tell me about a Deep Wound for you know for a bunch of kids who were like seventeen years old. You were a pretty tight little hardcore band back then. Tell me about that. Well, I I think uh, I had discovered hardcore like really like I discovered punk rock on college radio because I was obsessed with radio. FM radio. When I, and when I moved from Michigan, one of the first things I found is that when I went to the left of the dial here in, in, in Western Mass, there was an incredible amount of like college radio stations and they were playing absolutely everything. Like just, and I, so I stumbled upon some of the most exciting music I ever heard on the radio, on the, on college radio. And actually radio in general was, I thought really FM radio in Mass, Western Massachusetts at that time was you know, 79, 80 was pretty exciting, pretty exciting place to find music, you know, because even like back when, you know, Rock 102 was Wacky 102, it was like, a, it was totally all over the map, like as far as the pop music it played. And it was, it was really exciting because they, it, they played a lot of really, it was, it was cool. I mean, like you heard the, like the beginning of rap and you heard the big, like new wave and you heard hard rock and you heard all of these things like popular music was so it was a very kind of interesting pop radio was an interesting place in 1979, 1980. And, but then along with that, uh, I heard like college radio and I heard hardcore on college radio, like really amazing, blindingly fast, obscene music. You know? <laughs> Do you remember which, which bands were connecting with you back then? Well, I, the first, the first thing I heard on the radio, I heard, uh, the dead Kennedys on WHUS 
from Storrs, Connecticut, and I had never heard anything like it. I thought it sounded like Jimi Hendrix. It sounded like Jimi Hendrix on acid on acid. I mean, that was <laughs> I could have like I was like it just was the most incredible uh, explosion of like really cool guitars and yelling and this very charged. You know, I mean, the cla- I had heard the clash at that point, but this was like even more charged and over the top and like, wow, not that. And then it was just from there, it was just this, this dominoes fell and I ended up wanting to be in my own band. And I met a kid in, in Westfield High School who was, I think he had written Black Flag on his jeans. And I was like, started up a conversation <laughs> with him. You know, and Pretty soon we were playing, you know, bass and drum. Uh, we were playing bass and guitar in my attic and had a local kid hitting pots and pans. And then we put an ad. There was a place called Main Street Records in Northampton, which was a fantastic record store. Mm-hmm. And they put up a flyer there. And through that flyer, I met Jay Maskus, and he's a, he was a real drummer. He, he was like in, in the school band at Amherst, and he could he was just as blind. He was ready to play fast, and we found our guy, and that deep wound began. When you guys started to playing around, and obviously you're you're kind of limited in Western Mass to the kind of clubs that were around at the time, and especially when you're so young. A lot of these clubs, I would assume, you probably couldn't even get into. You weren't even old enough to step into the into the door the at the we, hangar. We played the, we played the hangar in in, uh, in Amherst, and then the rest was like you know uh, community centers and halls you know like the greenfield grange was a big spot for shows a big spot so many amazing shows there like touring local like just really cool uh touring national acts like the big boys uh flipper played there um Mm. uh, there was these amazing bands from uh, detroit or excuse me oh yeah not detroit but uh i mean we even got like raw power from italy came and played uh it was a great spot. You know, there would just be these amazing uh, Sunday matinees there where like 10 bands would play and they were all over the place, especially in the, the, the early, early 80s. It was just all over the place stylistically and amazing. It was just great time. And, you know, $5 to get in too. If that, I swear to God, I was like, and because I played, that was the great thing about being in a, in a band and playing those shows. It's like you got in for free and you could like sit on the side of the stage when the other bands played and it was just it was just a real it was a very loose atmosphere and it was cool you know by the time you guys got together when you know, jay steps away from the uh, the drums and starts playing guitar and singing and all that other stuff there's something about jay talent wise that you know clearly is something beyond what a lot of other guys were were capable of and you even talk about it in the documentary about you know following his his music vision a guy that young you, it's it's hard hard to imagine someone could even have a musical vision that young, but he really did. Well, I I think Jay is kind of like I think he's a real throwback to what you know people from the '60s and '70s. When you look back at like I don't know Ray Davies or someone, and you or even you know you when you consider how young some of our real classic musicians were, especially in the '60s when they started doing things that to this day our little minds are still trying to comprehend and still obsessing over like i think i'll be i perfect to be perfectly honest i think jay actually really was that caliber you mm. know when we got together it was just truly i i was a huge music fan and to to watch that kind of explosion and watch him like pick up a guitar and within a month or two write this and just start just disgorging like all of these really incredibly well-conceived 
composed, funny, sweet, I mean, like sweet, heavy, nasty. I mean, just all of this stuff. He was a freshman at UMass and just like, boof. And if you go back and look at like, you know, the real classic talents or whatever people work that's i think that's the time you know when you're yeah. 18 19 that's when the songs start coming you know they come hot and fast for like eight you know four or five years and and i was i witnessed that with you know i, I was there for to watch jay kind of blossom in that way it was it was a you know incomparable experience one of the things that i've i've always felt is like a lot of the 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 songwriting was a lot more sophisticated than a lot of the other bands that were coming out at that point, I mean, there's there are some things you hear in those songs that nobody was doing, and even as, as great as some of your contemporaries were, it's like, all right, that's something that's something remarkably different. The difference is, I remember seeing you guys, you know, you know back then when the the record came out, and the the thing that, I mean, I may have been drinking, but the thing that, that I remember most uh, was that it was it seemed ridiculously loud, and yes. and the, and the, that's maybe that was probably the point to begin with. And even now I can't listen to dinosaur junior quietly. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be the kind of band that one should do that for. Yeah. I mean, Jay has a funny memory that he recounts often of seeing iron maiden at the Springfield civic center <laughs> and not being able to hear one note that they played because it was so loud. And, and, and for him, that was like, that was like sort of a pit. I don't know. He references it fairly often. And in my mind, I'm always thinking, well, is that bad? But he's like, no, it's not. And I remember <laughs> like seeing, I saw Husker Du in East Hampton at a, at a hall. Like I was, I don't know if it was the Elks or like, I remember seeing Husker Du there and having no idea what they were playing. Cause it was so blinding, but I do remember, but I sat there right in front of them and like, just, just absorbed the, <laughs> And, and that was part of the and that was part of it It was part of the experience and i think jay really he had been a drummer before that but he really wanted so when he moved to the, to the guitar he wanted the, the guitar to be as impactful as a drum set which means that you because <laughs> drum sets are loud drums are extremely loud so he he really wanted to bring the guitar a step above the above the drums and i think that's part of his vision and that's kind of why it's so loud really. yeah the it, it sounds though it, it, it may not have been the easiest band to be involved in, especially early on. And it, and it sounds like, you know, there were some, some harsh feelings that were kind of shared and, and, uh, and then you kind of moved, you moved away. What was it that, uh, was so difficult during those, those years? Well, I think the funny thing, if I really think back on it, like we never thought it was supposed to be fun. Like the, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's like, it was never, it was like, it was like the good time rock and roll thing was like so suspect to us. Like everything was like, I just, it's, it's hard to describe becoming a rock musician, but having such a distaste for the rock and roll lifestyle. I mean, like a really like, you know, the idea of being, uh, yeah, the idea of like, Hey man, this is cool rock and roll. I mean, it's like not even like, it was so far outside of the way that we, I think that the misery was something that we had accepted as being part of of the of the deal really you know and that no it was like a real no pain no gain kind of of <laughs> ideal really i mean it is looking back on it it's like oh my gosh you know why did we make that so difficult on ourselves so it, i think it was personal to a degree because 
we were, I mean, Jay was a, he was rough, man. He was like, he was classic. He just was like a classic, like, you know, ultra talented, very like regimented, very, but, you know, and judgmental. I mean, it would, that just, what he was creating and the level of it was, was it came, it was hand in hand with a, with an attitude to match. That's all I can say, <laughs> so, which is like classic, you know, and I guess for me, when I was experiencing it at the time and when I was living in it, um, at first, at least I was like, I understood, like, I was like, yes, we are at war. We are here. We are here to <laughs> battle. Like we kind of have this very punk rock attitude of like battling the, the status quo and pulling down. I mean, like we were, you know, Def Leppard, all I can think of is like 1984, Pyromania, Def Leppard is all I'm hearing. All the kids at school are into it. I am into the most like violent thing. I mean, not just, I mean, actually it really changed in 84. There was a lot of nuance that was coming into it, but I can say that the primary message of all of the music that I listened to was anti-mainstream, yeah. like to a very, to a pretty extreme degree. So, so that so that kind of attitude and the and the unpleasantness kind of came with it, you know. So as you're going through it, you know you're you're committed to it, but if you're not having fun, what was it that was keeping you in it? I, you know, what was fun, it was making the records, and then getting high. You know, like getting high for the first time. It's like <laughs> I, I I loved making the music. I loved listening to the music. I loved the process of recording the music. And then once I started, and I think sort of in Jay's wake, I was really inspired myself to like make my own music. You know, I thought it would be very different, but I was like, and I was like sending in, there was a local, there was a radio show at WMUA in Amherst called Dada Vision that was, was just asking for people to send tapes to them. So my first tapes that I, the first music I made were like these, you know, 30 second songs of like screaming and like acoustic <laughs> guitar just wailing away and distortion and overloaded stuff that I sent to them, hoping they play it on the radio and they did. So it's just like, <laughs> they play that for, so for me, you know, when I was like 15, 16, getting somebody to play one of my cassettes, you know, at, at midnight on a Sunday was like a big deal, Yeah. you know, so that was, so yeah, there's all this like maybe this personal upheaval and this kind of and also which goes which is also happening at the same time as like you know your post puberty and and sort of trying to manage the world as an adult and come into your body and your mind and like but that is but it was accompanied by just the thrill of making music which is just I I think just the pure thrill of making music whether it whether it's painful or not whether it's a huge pain in the ass or not, whether it's worth, you know, a fucking five hour drive in your parents' station wagon to the fucking <laughs> Bowery in, in New York City to play at CBGB's, you know, and barely make it home, you know, the I mean, just yeah, like that was like that that pure experience, no matter how personally un, it, unpleasant it might have been, you know, personal politics, the fact is is it was like introducing me to the world, yeah. you know. So that that supersedes everything else. Like driving to fucking, you know, Boston and playing at fucking two o'clock in the morning and at Chet's last call to like five people and then driving Route 2 all the way fucking <laughs> <laughs> in the dark and going home at fucking five o'clock in the morning. I mean, like, 
I mean, that's, that stuff was, that was hard. I mean, so it's like, it, it's sort of, but it was all really, cause it sounds like a lot of fucking fun. It. It, it was, I mean, it's really, it really was, it was a real, it was a rite of passage and whatever came with that was totally fine. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you sent your tape, tapes to the right place. Cause you could send them to rock one Oh two. We would have found a way to record over them and they would have been lost forever. <laughs> I know. I know. I love that's, that's true. And that's fair enough. <laughs> that's what we would have. <laughs> That's what we would have done, but you know when I I I hear what you're saying, and when you know when I hear those uh, those uh, the, the Sebado records, especially the early ones, I mean, it always seems like like you are purging something, uh, you know, some some pent up frustration and and some anger. Like it sounded like, you know, these were records that you needed, like personally, to to to, to purge out of yourself, and it seems like yeah, like that's no, what Sebado was for you. Yeah, I mean, it, I still feel that way about music. It's like. Number one, it's it's about me documenting my life somehow, you know, I mean, it's very, it's kind of a selfish thing, really, ultimately, it's extremely selfish. It's about me, like, me doing what I, telling my story for myself. So it's, so it's existing in some way outside of me, because I don't keep notebooks, you know what I mean? I'm not mm -hmm. writing, I'm not gonna write, I'm not gonna write a novel, I'm not gonna like... <laughs> My, my memory is so fractured. I can barely tell story. I mean, I can barely tell like true stories to people. It's like, but the songs themselves become the document that it's like, I was here, you know, I think that was the, the beautiful thing about punk rock to me was that the main message was like, I'm here. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. Whether like, whether like, you know, whether thousands of people listen to it, you know, so it's, so it's not fucking, you know, <laughs> Gleben, Globin, Globin. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not on that level. Nobody's listening to it, but you, and you know, you are the, the misfit at your high school. And, but it's just that little germ of just like, I am here. This is what I have to say. And there are, there are, despite all improbabilities, there are people that will listen to that and that it will, it will, it'll, it'll make you, you know, you just know that like, cause I know that when I heard those raw bits of other people that meant so much to me. And so that's kind of what really inspired it, you know? Well, it's, it's cool to hear you talk that way because, you know, obviously, you know, Dinosaur Jr. and Sebado as well, you know, has been really influential to a lot of other musicians and a lot of other people throughout the years. And it's, it's, you know, it's not like you guys were trying to, you know, write hits or necessarily become a mainstream you know, act. I mean, if anything, you guys were everything but that. But when you hear someone say, you know, how much of an influence your music has been, is that is that like a bizarre thing to hear from somebody? Is that is that weird? Or I mean, how do you kind of process process that? That's the best thing. Anything. That's the best thing anyone could ever tell me. Because that's all I care about. It's like I know what influenced me. I know what that means to me. When someone says, I I know. I know that when I'm able to tell somebody like this actually really meant something to me and really mean it to them, you know, it's like, it's like, that's a, that's like, that's a gift, you know, I mean, I don't know where else to go. I mean, it's like, I know it's, and, and, you know, and when you meet people, I mean, like, you know, and in the, in the, I've met, you know, a few people, a few of my heroes throughout the years or whatever. And, you know, if you tell some, tell one of them, like, you know, this means something to me and they look at you and go like, wow, thanks. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, <laughs> Okay, you know, like some exchange has been made, you know, and it's like, and there was, there's a beautiful analogy that Mike Watt came up with, you know, from the Minutemen, and 
he, he was like, you know, and he's, I mean, Mike Watt himself, this is a guy that if you talk to him, like his formative experiences were like, he took the bus out to the California jam and like, like God, when like 76, like the big California jam with deep purple. <laughs> and he literally w went out there on a public bus and slept in the mud and then woke up in the morning, like woke up and heard, I mean, like classic rock is everything to these. I mean, that's the funny thing about meeting a lot of my heroes, like Ian MacKay from Minor Threat, Henry Rollins, Mike Watt, John Brandon from Negative Approach. A lot of these hardcore guys, they have, they have such a foundation of classic rock and what they love. And like, it's just become so, but Mike, Mike Watt said a beautiful thing. He was like, you know, music is a river. If you if you can float your fucking boat on that river for a while, great. <laughs> it's like, that's it. It's like because you're you when you make music, you just create part of this huge. I mean, I like that analogy because I love the idea of it just of this flow and that you're adding to a flow and and it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, where where you're coming from on the on the different angles or whatever or the different you know genres, blah blah blah. All of that stuff is almost meaningless to just. Um, you know, make, you know, making these, you know, trying to like identify all of it, but what it really is, is just a big flow of like words and sounds. And it's just wonderful to be a part of that. And the way that he described it is one of the, it's one of the most beautiful things I've heard, you know, and true, you know. When you're writing songs and, and, and performing, I know that you're not necessarily, you, you're, I mean, yes, you obviously want people to listen to it. You want people to appreciate it. But when you accidentally stumble across a, uh, a song that you've created and it winds up becoming a hit like, you know, natural one from a uh, folk implosion. I mean, I mean, that's just going to be for, for a guy who had been doing it for as long as you have, then suddenly in 1995, boom, you, you got a, you got a, you got a mainstream hit on your hand. I mean, that must be just mind blowing. It was amazing, man. I'll tell you, like I went to fuck, I went to like at the time, like I went to a liquor store in Westfield, you know, I was home to visit my parents. I'm like, okay. Time for a run. So I did a run to the liquor store. And I fucking heard natural one in a liquor store in Westfield, Massachusetts. And I was like, I don't even know what to, I was like, this is a moment. Because I mean, pop radio meant a lot to me. I love radio. I loved big radio. And I still love big radio. But I mean, I loved it. And I'm not gonna I'm just because you because you have 102 attached with you. I'll just tell you. <laughs> wacky, wacky 102 before it became serious before yep. it became wrong. But Wacky 102 was like amazing because like I heard so much incredible shit and I was like, Nat, I was like, man, natural one because it hit the top 40. I was like, fucking natural one would have been, been played on Wacky 102. Yeah, it would have <laughs> been. It would have been played next to all the other stuff that was playing because it was so chaotic because it was hit radio. So it was all over the place. You know, it was like Ario Speedwagon, Devo, The Flying <laughs> Lizards, The Flying Lizards, The Fucking Go-Go, you know, like Journey. Like, <laughs> like yes, it's like this all, like all in this one big go of like, and to know that like my, one of my little songs fucking made it to the stew, you know, just to that. <laughs> that stew at that i was like they would have played it probably you know i mean it would, they would have anyway it's just that you know i i was man i was psyched and i to this day it's like i will never try to downplay that or ever like i'll be like nope casey Kasem like announcing natural one <laughs> it only hit number 26 and casey Kasem announcing that was like i, I mean i don't know what else 
for as countercultural or you know <laughs> as, as experimental as I want to be, as as sort of uh, with you know as much as I've wanted to blow traditions apart within what I do, I still when I'll tell you when that <laughs> happened, I was like. Okay, I don't know where else to go from here. It's know? it's funny. I was uh, I was telling my wife I had an interview this afternoon. She said like, well, who who is it with? I said Lou Barlow. She said, and she said, well, who is that? I said from Dinosaur Junior. She said, okay, I've heard of them. What else have they done? And then and then so like I go grab my phone, I go on to Spotify, and I find Natural One. And within like half a note, she's like, that's Natural One. She like she like oh, she knew that right. song. It's like oh okay, well there you go because. 75% of the time I'm talking to people that she's never heard of. You and I have heard of them, but on the pot, on the podcast, I'm, you know, I, I dig you know, fairly deep. And so that was kind of cool that she, she definitely knew that song and definitely knew who you were at that point. And then to tell, so cool. and then to say, yeah, you know, he's from Westfield. She said, well, I went to Westfield state. I said, I know. And so <laughs> <laughs> I said, Dude, they're 14 and a half miles from our house. But um, <laughs> no, I mean that Johnny, that's just, that just, it just has to be a thrill to be, to hear that and to know they just created something that's really connecting, you know, around the globe and around the country. This is the what an amazing thing that had to be. Yeah. And especially because, because it, what the music itself that we made was so off the cuff, mm. it happened so quickly. It was so much fun. You know what I mean? So it's really good that it wasn't like, I mean, because I know, from experience, it's like, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of like, you know, angst and just like, Ooh, you know, and, and I mean, making a hit song is a very, it, it can be, it's like a scientific process. And like, it, there's all of these, all of this weight brought to it and all of the, I mean, and just to know that, that when my contribution, you know, to the top 40 was like a really good time. Is <laughs> really, that, that to me is like, I'm like, okay, that's, that's one of those things that just, it always reminds, and, and because that happened, it reminds me that like really the core of what you want to do. And actually, if even if you go back in time and I'm sure just conjure up all the stories of hit songs and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, they're often just these moments that the people themselves, as they were experiencing them, they were experiencing extraordinary moments, you know, especially the one head wonders, you know, it's like, no, this was this extraordinary moment that came together and like and it 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 always like i love it because it always uh it always supports the story that you know you're you're meant to have fun you're meant to love music and you're meant to love like just the pure raw little bit of just communicating one on one because that's where the that's where the real spark can happen i mean of course yes you can also spend 3 years cult you know you know, just making the most scientifically perfect, wonderful pop song that everybody loves and that I love even, but that there are that just the history of music is just, uh, there's just all these wonderful sparks of just pure inspiration and fun. Yeah. And that's, I love that. Jump ahead a, a bunch of years, 2004, uh, you rejoined Jay on stage with, uh, with Mike Watt of the Minutemen and the Ashton brothers from the, the Stooges. And that seemed to kind of put you guys somewhat back on track and certainly, you know, in the same, you know, space together. But what was different between the two of you since you had left the band at, at that point? I mean, it had been a number of years since the two of you had really, you know, connected musically after you, you were, you were let go in that band, but what, what had changed 
to to bring you guys back i don't know i think jay uh despite being kind of a a hard figure in my life you know where i'm like ooh, you know <laughs> he's like a hard i mean he's very opinionated very like i think that he like me i think the thing that we do have in common is that we just it's all about the music you know so when everything is said and done it's like do you want to make that music again it's like i mean yes you know it's it's not like you know it doesn't come down to like do i want to hang out with that guy again you know what i mean it doesn't come down to those kind of personal decisions it comes down to a musical decision yeah and i think that jay shares that with me you know like that that i think and when i met him again it's like yeah i mean as much as i had had like I mean, boy, if you talk to me for more than like a couple of hours, some night somewhere, you know, I I could get to just like, then this happened and I hated it and I can't believe and they should have never and blah, blah, blah. So like, I could, I could really go off on that. But then it's like, you know, I could go blah, 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 and at the end of it, like, well, do you want to play with them again? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Would you do that again? Yes, in a second I would. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like it, it's like, and to know that a Jay on some level, uh, you know, had the same feeling. Like, hey, why not? It worked. Why don't we try it again? And it's like, that's what changed. I think I don't know if it, it's what changed. I think it's what we just got to, like where, yeah. well, I got to a point where I wasn't like, <clears throat> I wasn't as angry as I used to be, and. He got a point. He got to a point where he was just like, "Yeah, sure, whatever. Let's try something else." Is it is it any more fun now than it was back in eighty seven, eighty eight? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it, no, I mean, it's wonderful to be a conscious person. I just wasn't. I don't know if I was conscious when I was nineteen or twenty. I just feel like the world. Was, <laughs> I feel like the world was coming at me at like fucking three hundred miles an hour, and I took bits and pieces from it. But like everything was just it, everything was so fraught with. Uh, performance anxiety and it was and fraught with just uh you know i wanted to be good and i wanted to do better and i wanted to like i just and i never thought i mean i was always just striving to be much much better than i was and now it's like i'm like ah you know it's like i'm doing my best and you know when i hear the, the the newer records uh like like you know sweep it into space i mean i you know i i it sounds like you guys are just more at peace, you know, I mean, and, and maybe that's just, you know, I'm just hearing that in my head and, you know, maybe concocting a bunch of horseshit, but it's like, you know, I feel like, okay, now you just kind of settle into a pocket where, you know, back in the eighties, it may have felt more, you know, it, I don't want to say erratic, but like it could fall apart at any moment. You know, here, it sounds like yeah. you guys are a whole lot, a whole lot more engaged with each other, all three of you. That's true. I mean, certainly for that for that last record, like I think every record we become more engaged somehow, which is also why I love doing it because I'm like, well, every 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 record we figure out a way to take another 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 step forward. I mean, I mean, and I'm not talking about huge stylistic steps. I'm not talking about like I'm talking about just moving forward, just like dip, you know, you're just like you move forward. You find a new way to like. Um, I mean, for me, it's always about finding new ways to communicate with with people with people that I know really that yeah. I've known forever. But I mean, it's like I I think it's kind of like family. It's like you always, you know, maybe you always figure out a way to talk to somebody a little more effectively. You know, so maybe you always 
And it's all about this like incremental movement. It's like either you you pull back and like I should never have me or or you just you know you go like you know I got to try a little bit. I'm gonna try this way, this way. I'm gonna try this, and then you and you know try little ways to just uh you know uh spring the family together. I mean, and, and I do think it's like family to that degree because I mean families are families are tough, man. You know, it's hard to negotiate family stuff. It's hard to always know what to do. It's hard to deal with ancient ingrained mm -hmm. perceptions, you know, it's really hard to deal with those things. Yeah. And well, I mean, you know, I, I think any, any partnership and, and God knows I've been in, in my share of longstanding partnerships, uh, you, you know, as, as hard as they, they may be, you know, you still have like this legacy of work that kind of is, is a glue. It's like an epoxy for you guys. I mean, this, you could always say, yeah, we may not be seeing eye to eye, but we also have this. And that's kind of like the, like that, that family strand. Like, you know, we may not get along together at the Thanksgiving table, but we still have this. And yeah. there is something really powerful about, about that kind of, uh, you know, connective tissue between, between uh, partnerships. There's also something, I mean, there's something that we have that I think is extraordinary among bands. I think we have a sound. Like we have this particular sound. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, you know, I, 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 I relate it to the Ramones. Cause there was one thing with the Ramones. I'm like, every time the Ramones, I mean, everything they do, it's like Ramones. <laughs> it's, like, it's like unmistakably, and it has, you know, it has to, it has to do with the way they play together. It has to do with a certain amount of primitive, like sort of a primitive aspect to what they do. And Dinosaur Jr., what I really love is we do have a primitive aspect of what we do. And it really does come down to something that we learned when we were very young. And it comes down to like this muscle memory and this, we just have this thing that we do. And it's like that in itself is like pretty amazing to have. Yeah. You know? And then to, to put some of those, those issues aside, I mean, you know, some of the contemporaries you guys, you know, used to, be associated with in that in that genre the sonic youth the husker dues the, the replacements i mean they weren't able to to keep it together but you know i mean you guys have i mean I, obviously it's all different situational you know relationships and you know and all of that but i mean you guys have been able to at you know get beyond it get back together and produce real great music again like you barely skipped a beat well I, I do think there's something really unique about the way we play together. Like my style, my style of playing bass is really weird. It's like, it's odd, you know, it's, it's, it's not. And it's, and the way that I play is actually so much, so linked to the way that Murph plays that there's, I mean, it's, it, there's just a, there's a chemistry that happens there and it, and it's, so, and it's totally, born out of the way that we played together when we were in our teens yeah. really so it's it's hard it's like and it's such a particular but i do think the thing that kind of i think the kind of thing some i i have to sort of acknowledge it's hard for me to acknowledge this but it's like i'm actually a fairly good player in general <laughs> like i'm actually a pretty good player <laughs> i have a particular style i'm actually very dedicated to it and murph is a very good drummer he has a very forceful style. He's a very forward moving, like pushy drummer. And he and I worked together because we had so much noise to deal with, with Jay, that we forged, we forged this thing together. 
but also because I'm so linked to Jay as far as the way that he plays guitar. I love the way he plays guitar. Yeah. It's very similar to my own way of playing guitar. It's a lot of really cool fractured folk chords. It's a lot of, it's like, and we always, and it's always, it always revolves around a classic song structure always. So it's like, Jay and I really share that. We share we share a love for a classic pop structure. And that's and so you know, so when you sort of get those things together, it's like it's not you know, there's none of us within her like, no man, you know, like <laughs> I gotta go, I gotta I got an improv group that I need to do. I've got an improvisational itch that I gotta scratch and <laughs> you know, this isn't doing it for me anymore. I, I can't deal with this. I mean, like we we embrace our tradition like you said yeah that's still that's what it makes the families we actually when push comes to shove we embrace our tradition and you know and it's and i'm lucky that you know jay i mean jay and murph are i mean you know amazing players and i really and they you know they challenge me and they they put me up to it and they keep me going and so you know you know, I, I was I was so disappointed in in November. You guys uh, were playing in Holyoke with Guided by Voices, and I really I, I wanted to go to those shows so bad. In other words, like two nights, and and uh, you know we do a, a big food drive in in downtown Springfield. So I was exhausted. There was no way I was going to a show, but I really I, that was like if, if there was yeah. like one show I really wanted to go to because I love both of those bands. Those shows did not happen. We did not play with Guided by Voices in Holyoke. You didn't. No. Oh, okay, so now now I don't feel so bad. <laughs> feel so bad. You're, you're fine. But we we did we did play with them in Boston twice, Philadelphia. Oh wait, Boston twice or Boston, Philadelphia, New York. Okay. So we did do that. Okay. We did play with them, and it was amazing. I bet it was. Yeah, it was super cool, and uh, I was able to verify that Robert Pollard and myself were born in the same hospital, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Um, and we, he also told me that a lot of times when he he uh, when he's critical of of my work or says things about me that it's all he's just he's just fucking you know giving me shit <laughs> he's just teasing me. Good to he's know. Busting my balls. He's a good. He's just a ball buster. And you know what? That's cool. And we we had a really we we had pretty good hangs with Got It by Voices, which was really sweet. And it was that was a great double bill. Yeah. Also been uh, listening to your podcast with your wife Adele. That's pretty cool. That's fun. Oh yeah, we're way into that. Yeah, I'm working, and I'm like, it, I'm, it's making me make a lot of new music. Although, like for instance, right now I'm I'm concentrating on recreating note for note. I mean, maybe not note for note, but I'm trying to recreate the light break commercial <laughs> from the very early '70s. Only it's only thirty seconds long, but I've already spent like all day trying to think about strategizing how to recreate that commercial because I've already done three other ones. I think I want I want that to be part of the podcast. It's like me recreating. That's that's my musical concern right now. implore people to listen. You know, please listen to our podcast. It's very music. It's all about music. We interviewed Ben. Uh, Bridwell from Band of Horses last week and got a really cool interview out of him and like a really good he got he contributed a, a, an amazing Lemonheads cover to the podcast and that's great uh, so we're like I don't know it's something fun it's just really fun for us to do it's that's like awesome. radio man it's like our own little mini radio 
<laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you won't record any any over any tapes or or no, do what we I do. Am, I am using a lot of cassettes on this this podcast because I'm make, I'm recording all of the tunes onto cassette and all the all the voiceovers like the carts. I want it to be like <laughs> the old school cart that you shove in. Yeah. I want to be like, like all of a sudden you get the, the flood of hiss and then like this crazy voice. Like, <laughs> you are now. I'm really really obsessed with the idea of reintroducing analog to this like digital podcast realm but i i know we don't have a whole lot of time left but you know what's what's going on with uh with dinosaur jr now i know you got to you're playing a, a festival in uh you know coming up you know later uh next year uh in march yeah. i think it is and and in yeah. idaho which i i know is not necessarily a great uh, a great place for you guys historically i hope you're all getting separate rooms but i oh, know <laughs> Boise's amazing, man. Boise's cool. Boise's is cool. Boise is is badass. I mean, Boise's like any place around here. I mean, honestly, it's not. It's a. I don't know. There's so many wonderful. If I could just make a completely generic statement, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this country is loaded with amazing towns and that have all just grown and been thriving and prospering for the last fucking forty years that I've traveled. I'll tell you, like, there's so many. So many great towns and yeah. so many great, I mean, anywhere you go, man, there's fucking, there's definitely people who love music and definitely people that are cool. Man, yeah. You, know? you guys going to be recording again or is that not, uh, not at that it's point? Not, yet? It's not on the cards right now. I mean, I would imagine maybe at the end of, the, of this next year, there might, the word might come down. I think Jay is focusing on finishing a solo record because that, that's how his cycles are. Dino record, solo record, dino record, solo record, dino record. So he did the dino record. Now it's the solo record time. And so he'll, he'll, you know, undoubtedly do that. And then uh, in the meantime, I'll be, I'll be hustling, trying to figure my shit out. <laughs> <laughs> Lou, it's, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Great to finally meet you. Maybe I'll, uh, bump into you at the big Y or, or the big E or the Rockies or something like that. <laughs> The big <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, great, right, cool. great to talk to you. Thanks for spending some time. I appreciate it. No worries. Totally good. All right, Lou. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You too. The name of Lou and his wife Adele's podcast is called Raw Impressions, available on Apple Podcasts and a bunch of other places too. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to like it, review it, tell all your friends about it. You can email me at backsatrock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.